that look like that was important to you? What, what did you want the Clippers to know? Uh, I wanted to talk to Montrez. Uh, you know, he's a guy, man. I tell y'all all the time, he got it out the mud. The way he played in this series, the way he's played all year. Uh, you know, it's been incredible, man. He come in undersized for the four position, and he dominating at the five. I got much respect for him. I just wanted to tell him that. We're going to bring y'all into our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my producer, Marcus. What's up, Deb Nation? And our masters of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? It's impossible for me to say how proud it makes me to announce that rejoining us in the huddle, an 11-year vet of the NBA, where he played with and against generational stars like Rick Barry, Bill Russell, Earl Monroe, Oscar Robinson, and Will Chamberlain. The best television announcer in the league and voice of the Golden State Warriors since 1985. And my favorite guest on this show by far, Mr. Jim Barnett. What's going on, Jim? Hey, that's quite an introduction, and I appreciate that very much. And uh, I hope I can continue to live up your, to your expectations. <laughs> that's going to be impossible, Jim. I'm going to tell you right now, my expectations are far too high for anybody to live up to. Um, and I'm going to prove that to you. So you and I have a pattern. You come on here. I try not to kiss your ass. I kiss your ass anyways. You handle it with class, but I think I make some of the listeners feel awkward. So today, kind of like the last time we had you on, I'm going to allow a listener to kiss your ass as opposed to me. So what we've done, man, I've reached out in anticipation of you coming on. I've asked our listening base to give us some questions that we can run by you. And one of them wrote back this opus, quote, I've watched the Warriors for 28 years. Regardless of their success, there has always been the possibility of a letdown. Steph could have an off shooting night. Baron Davis might get into foul trouble or Sprewell might choke a coach. That's sports. The lone exception is Jim Barnett. Regardless of the opponent, the record, or the time or year, JB brings it. His hoop knowledge and zeal for the game has helped me enjoy Golden State telecasts for decades. And forgive me, Jim, but I'll, I'll read the actual thing. What he said was, JB f***ing brings it. So this guy was very excited about your skill set, and I think he echoes what all of us are thinking on a nightly basis. Well, I appreciate that very much, and... Uh... He, he, you know, you can use that word. You know, it can be a noun, a verb. Uh, <laughs> he, he uses it as an adjective. When it's an adjective, it, it kind of works okay. It doesn't, it doesn't offend anyone. If you use it as a verb, then you're in trouble. <laughs> well, that came from John from Hayward. So, John, nice grammatical use of the word. <laughs> Careful. I mean, you, you, you know, we almost got out of control there, but we kept it in pocket. Um, Jim, the, the setup for today is pretty easy. Uh, like I said, we've got questions coming in from the audience. They tend to veer along the timeline. Uh, and what I mean by that is there's some questions about you and your career as both a player and announcer, and then there's other questions about the Warriors in general this year and about their inevitable series against Houston. And I guess I say that only to apologize for any inadvertent conversational whiplash these questions might uh, cause. But here's our first one, and I'm kind of excited to see your answer. Who is the best trash talker you've seen as either a player or an announcer in the league? The best trash talker. Wow. These are things I never think about. But uh, I would say uh, number one in the league right today is probably Russell Westbrook. Huh. I think. I think he talks a lot of trash. I may be wrong about it. Uh, it seems like he's pretty sensitive and, and quick to anger and things like that. Um, Draymond Green is right there. <laughs> Draymond. <laughs> I know Draymond so well. 
that it doesn't offend me, and and I don't take offense to it because I because he, he's on on the warrior side, and I also know him, and I know he has a real soft heart. I I, I know people can misconstrue what kind of personality he has, but really he's a really nice guy, and uh, he's very kind to me. Not that we don't we don't go we won't you know go run around together and everything, but he, if I ask a question, boy, he stops and listens, and he's very courteous and. And so, but he, when I see him out there, you're, I, I got to mention Draymond because uh, he, he might, he might be, he might be number one. I may have uh, forgotten him just because of uh, partisanship. I, I love it. I think it should be partisanship. We should be proud of him as the best crap talker in the league. And I, I'll, I'll say it personal, and then I'll ask you personally. And you may have noticed this through our conversations. I'm a little bit mentally weak, Jim. It is what it is. I can see somebody trash talking me on the floor and me succumbing to it, either getting frustrated or intimidated, whatever the hell it was. At any point while you were playing, I mean, we're talking, you know, an 11-year career. Did anybody get in your skin? Did, did was there a moment where someone was able to talk you out of sure. your game? Who? What? When yeah, did it happen? Uh, there were. Well, there. You know, it, it was. It was uh, pretty commonplace too, and I'm trying to. I don't think about these things. And I've, we've had these conversations before, where I just don't think back about that. But I do remember. Um, if you remember, UCLA's first championship uh, was in 1964, and Walt Hazard was their senior guard, and he was the College Player of the Year sure. that year. Um, he was a Lakers territorial draft pick. He later changed his name to Mahdi Abdul Rahman. He changed it back again when he got out of basketball because it kind of hurt him uh, in his job search and in pro- huh. his professional life. Um, you know, he died some years ago. Doggone! He was uh, he played on our team for a year and he was Mahdi Abdul Rahman. And uh, he, when we played against each other, he was a dirty little player. Uh, he'd grab my shorts, he'd pull <laughs> me, he'd punch me in the back. He he would do these little things and talk trash to you also so much so that Al Adels. The only time it's ever happened, a coach, Al Adels, asked me in a huddle, it was on our home court, he said, go out and hit him. <laughs> he gave me orders to go out and swing and hit him. <laughs> and uh, so I, I got very used to him. Uh, but when guys tossed trash to me, I was, listen, I was pretty cocky. And when I was going, and I was pretty cocky with what I could do. And I want to be very candid. And I'm not going to hold anything back. I was very quick. And I felt I could get around anybody in the league sure. anytime. And I would just say back to the guy, hey, you can come at me all you want because uh, I'm going to go around you next time and get a layup. You just don't know when it's going to happen. And a lot of times I would, you know, I wasn't a great ball handler. Uh, I could beat a guy off the dribble, though, and I learned how to do that. But I would throw the ball ahead to Clyde Lee or Nate Thurman and just run past the guy in the backcourt. Maybe they're pressing you, you know, picking up at three-quarters court. And I would run past him. They'd give me a little shovel uh a scoop pass and I'd go in and get a layup and it worked all the time and so then I would talk back and say I told you I was going to do that see you can't stop me so you might as well stop talking but keep talking because I'd like to get another layup you know <laughs> and so we, we, we talked trash there, and a guy named Ricky Sobers was a big trash talker uh, for Phoenix I remember and he was a rough guy he tried to intimidate you uh, he came along probably after I'd been in the league for you know eight, eight to nine years probably but anyway um that's that's my first recollection was Mahdi Abdul-Rahman, alias Walt Hazard. I got to ask you a follow-up on Walt Hazard. Did you follow the Adels directive? Did you go out there and punch him? Um, you know, I, I, I never punched him. I never did. But I, I ran up his back, kind of like Durant did um, 
to Patrick Beverly. Yeah. Uh, when he bumped him and knocked him out. Only I did a lot harder, and uh, I got a technical foul, and he got up and swung, and I just ducked, and they kicked him out of the game. So I didn't get kicked did out. Did you tell of him game. I am so Jim Barnett? Was, <laughs> of course you did. So that was it. That was it. No, I was ready for it. I knew he was going to swing. In fact, one time, another time, we were in Buffalo. He was playing for Buffalo, believe it or not, one time. And I told Mindy Rudolph, the lead official, I said, okay, watch. And he was still Walt Hazard then, I think. He might have been, he might have been Abdul Rahman. But at any rate, I told uh, Mindy, I said, watch, uh, Abdul Rahman's going to swing on me next time we come across half court. And sure enough, he stopped and he swung. <laughs> I got him kicked out again. <laughs> and, and I was prepared for it. I knew he was going to swing. I just knew he was going to swing. And uh, it felt pretty good to get him kicked out of the game. What you were talking <laughs> about was right there, is the type of guile that makes me love players like Bogut and Draymond and you, to be quite frank. It's the idea that, look, you, you get the directive. You're supposed to go out there and fight back for yourself. Of course you're going to. But as opposed to throwing the punch, something that would end up with you on the sidelines, you get him physically anyways and then trigger his emotion, right? And, and it's him who ends up having yeah. to watch the rest of the game. And I, I just like that. That's the whole you know chess over check approach uh, but let well, me we did have to we, we did have to fight real quickly we had to fight in those days and I did fight once in a while I hit guys I remember one time in Baltimore I hit Earl Monroe I hit the first punch I hit him with the left hook and it didn't even phase him and he didn't even try <laughs> to fight back and I later became a teammate of his of course and I saw him at the all-star break I went down to Charlotte and I hadn't seen him in years and he is the sweetest guy, and I love him. I mean, he's one of the greatest players. And I mean, you punch he, he respected me because I, I backed up Frazier Monroe for a couple of years in New York. And, you know, he, he didn't fight back. And Ray, Ray uh, Scott came over and grabbed my jersey and pulled it about four feet from my chest and was going <laughs> to hit me, but he never did. And I backed up to the baseline. But Earl, I can't believe I did that to Earl Monroe. He didn't deserve it. Uh, he, he's really one of the sweetest guys. In fact, when I saw him, this there, he. he he came over to me and made this great smile. And I mean, I just kissed him on the cheek and we just hugged. It was really great. There I love him very, very much. You might be the only person on earth who can answer this question. What does it feel like to punch a Hall of Fame player? I mean, like, do, like and, and let, me, let me make it a real question. Because I mean, Earl Monroe, I mean, he, you know, he is a generational talent. You guys knew that when you were playing against him. Obviously, the competition gets the better of you. I mean, you have these moments yeah. where, it, where it spills out. But... While you're having a physical altercation with a player of his talent level, is there a portion in your mind that's thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm fighting this guy? Or is it the same way no, it would be with no. anybody else? Not at all. He was just a, an opposing player. That's huh. it. <laughs> uh, we were, I, and I considered us to be equals. Yeah, Absolutely sure. equals. Uh, he's going against me. I'm going against him. Uh, it never, ever, you know, I, I've told you this before that... Um, Every time I guarded Jerry West, I always thought I could stop him coming down the floor. And, he, and I, I do remember he had about seven shots in a row one time when he got it going. <laughs> and each time I thought I was stupid enough to believe that I would stop him the next time. Sure. And I told you, I've told you that story before. I finally just said, and I gave up. I said, okay, and I backed up 10, 12 feet from him into the lane. And I said, go ahead, shoot it. And, <laughs> and left him wide open about 18 to 20 feet away left him wide open and he missed the shot finally <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't stop him anyway it didn't bother him so go ahead shoot one you got in his head I decided to read that story in a different way uh, here's our next question from a listener as the season has progressed pundits have started to say more and more that Houston has a shot of beating the Warriors 
what would have to go right for the Rockets for them to have an opportunity at beating the Warriors in a seven-game series, in your opinion? And I, this assumes that both teams are healthy, let's say. Yes, of course. Um, the first thing is they're going to have to win a couple of games on the Warriors' court. And that used to be kind of impossible, but this year it's been very likely. Yeah. Uh, the Warriors have not protected the home court nearly as well as they have in the past. I, I'm hoping that will pick up in the postseason, but it certainly did not pick up in Game 2 yeah, right. in this series <laughs> against L.A. Clippers. So that kind of concerns me right there. That, that concerns me. I think the Warriors are a little more vulnerable than they used to be just because of that factor, that one factor. Sure. Also, you know, we, we all know that last year Chris Paul did miss the last two games. And right. There's no excuse and everything. You know, the Warriors lost in 2016 when Draymond uh, missed. With, he was uh, suspended, suspended yeah. for uh, game five uh, when the Warriors were at 3-1. But anyway, with that, with that said, they're going to have to have great shooting from a lot of guys. And, you know, they're going to shoot three-pointers. And, I, you know, this year they shoot over 51% of their shots are three-pointers. It's incredible uh, how that trend every, every decade just gets more and more and more. In fact, it increases, I think, every year since it came into play in 1979. Every year more th- threes are shot. But, they, they, you know, so over half of their shots are threes. And we do remember when they missed 27 threes in a row and uh, – in that in that game, they it, they shot themselves out of it. Sure, game seven. And, yeah, and so um, I mean, Trevor Ariza. Remember, he went 0 for 12 from the field, 0 for 9 from three point range, and uh, he was scoreless in the game. Didn't get to the line or anything. Um, that really hurt them, and they got stubborn with that. So they're going to have to have you know a great shooting night, four games four games to, to win right. the series. They've got to win four games. And I, I think could, this is a series that could easily go to seven games, by the way. I think they're very formidable. Uh, they've got depth. Um, they've got Kenneth Fareed, who I wish the Warriors would have picked up. I don't know how they got that guy. because I, I, he's, he's perfect for teams like them because they don't need his scoring, but yet he can still score yeah, inside, yeah. and he's per, he'd be perfect for the Warriors. I really, uh, you know, a more, a more seasoned Jordan Bell, athletic, can jump and do everything like that, but completely he's got experience and knows how to play. I completely agree with you. And 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 then the Kenneth Fareed success has not been a surprise and has only been frustrated. It's almost as if they put him on ice. I remember when that guy was basically an all-star in Denver, disappeared off the NBA landscape for a while, now has reappeared in Houston and is seemingly doing all the exact effort plays that led to his success early on. So his success now isn't a surprise. Let me ask you, Jim, is Houston the biggest threat to a Warriors title this year in your mind? Yes, absolutely. Um, that hurts me. What you don't know is that Marcus has been saying that all year, and I've been telling Marcus that he was stupid and wrong about that. <laughs> and I, ha- you know that I have to listen and respect you. So inadvertently, you've now backed Marcus, which breaks my heart. I don't mind telling Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marcus. Yeah, I think, I think so. I, I still, now I'm, I'm, Still, you know, and I, I use the word betting. I'm not. I'm not betting. I won't. I will never know what the, uh, you know, the, the the odds are, or whatever you call it, the, the point spread. Sure. I, I don't even know where to find that stuff, and I never look at it. So, I still favor the Warriors. I think they're on a mission, and I think they will come through. Um, and so, it's uh, it's. I but it's, it's going to be it's it's going to be really tricky, and I'm going to really love to see that matchup and see how they play. Uh, that that guard that. Uh, you know, averages 36 points a game, and 
uh, and and has has that step back, you know, put the ball in, the, in his hands and then step back two or three steps and then take that shot. So it's, it's Harden, more like Harden yeah, is a, it's like eight steps guy, back. So. Uh, and and <laughs> I'll, I'll steal this question. And in fact, I wasn't going to include anybody's name on the questions, but I like this question enough where I'll include the name. This comes all the way from uh, Australia, and it's from a man named Kevin, and he asks this, quote, I recognize that James Harden is a phenomenal scorer and generational talent, but when he actively tries to get fouled, I'd prefer watch my four-year-old son shoot air balls in my backyard. Jim, I know you respect him, but do you enjoy watching James Harden play basketball? Uh, no, I get very frustrated with it, and I, I don't like it. I don't think I'd like to play with him. Um, the way he dominates the ball, but that's just me. Uh, I've, and I have great respect respect yep. for uh, Mike D'Antoni. I know him real well. Um, played against him in the league. I've been out and had beers with him before when we were young. Huh. And uh, we, we still have a little connection. But um, no, and, and I, I hope that somebody plays him and make him go to the right a little bit. But I cert- certainly wouldn't do it like they've been doing in Utah. Right. And uh, Getting behind him. I, I've never, I cannot believe they're playing to the side so much so they're they're playing behind him yeah. <laughs> they're playing behind him but they've had a little success at times i think what over 15 there the other day yeah uh, game before last but i i what i would do and i'd recommend that players do is you're, you're going to shade him a little bit but you're not going to give it to him just like we were giving uh lou williams the, the right side there we were but we were just you know, there's a difference between shading a little bit and then just giving him a lane. Yeah. And he was killing the Warriors, you know, when he got 36 and 11 right. uh, in in game two. And so um, they, they've changed that, and they've done a lot better job on him. But the main thing is you're going to try to keep him in front of you. And when he gets to the paint, I would definitely, and I'm going to say this to Ron Adams, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it to uh, Clay Thompson here because this is what I would do, and I've done it before with players. I will put my hands behind my back. Hmm. I would put my hands, clasp them behind my back, and it would not give him a target. With my, once he gets to the lane, when he gets to the lane, keep in front, move your feet, stay in front of him, and quit giving ground. If sure. you're between him and the basket, stop so that he stops and has to shoot a little 8- to 10-footer floater, something like that. Don't keep, you know, Looney has, and I love Looney, by the way, and he's going to play a lot of minutes against Houston. But Looney sometimes, he's a little afraid to stop, and he keeps, and finally the guy just pushes him right off the floor, and he lays the ball up, and Looney's standing out of bounds. You're entitled to that position, and you got to talk to the officials and tell them that too. You yeah. got to say, "I'm going to be in front of him, and I'm going to stop somewhere along the way here. If he runs into me, that's you know, that's it's don't call, don't call a block, don't call a charge. I don't give a damn about that, but don't don't call a block on me because I'm entitled to that position, and I'm not going to be reaching. You cannot be reaching, and you cannot put your hands and arms and make them available." And I'm going to actually tell Stephen Curry that because he, he loves to reach and gets in trouble that way. <laughs> well, I, what I love about the hands behind the back, and you've already just outlined it, it's not just that it prevents them from reaching. It prevents Harden from taking advantage of this ridiculous rule right now where he gets to swing through, initiate the right. content, and then, and then go to the line. And I, I, I mean, just, right. this is just my own soapbox jihad, but I understand that that's part of the rules. I understand that Harden is taking advantage, let's call it a loophole, but it's ruining the game. It, it's impossible to watch. I refuse to believe that Rocket fans enjoy watching him search out for a foul. And I, you know, who I, I doubt very severely that Adam Silver is currently listening to this podcast, Jim, but just in case, they need to change yeah. this rule. It, it, um, it just bothers me so much. So I'll, it's I'll a ch- very, yeah, 
Go ahead. Yes, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Interrupt, no, that, interrupt I, you, but yeah, it, I agree. It's it's it's, it's obtuse. It's just it goes against the grain of basketball. You look at what's he doing? Is that he's not even trying to make a basket? He's just trying to go in and get fouled, and it's pretty clever. And he's he is uh, working his way. But don't give him a target. Keep your right. hands behind your back. Lock your hands if you have to, and keep your body in front of him. And and stop and let him take some kind of flyer. And and if he goes up there like that and, and he makes a basket, you know, well. God bless him and stuff, and hit him on the butt and say it's a hell of a shot, but keep him off the line. Anytime you want to interrupt me, Jim, interrupt me. If I could, I'd give you a button that like kettle prodded me or something and stopped me like halfway through a question. So do not feel bad about that. Um, let me put a bow on some of these Houston questions. Uh, should the Warriors still be considered a favorite, and if so, why? Against Houston. Absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely, because they have the experience, they've won two in a row. They want to get three in a row. They've been to the finals four straight years. They know what it takes. It's difficult, no question about it. Difficult, but I think that they can, I think they've got more firepower um, than Houston does overall with those three guys. And if all three are you know, humming at the same time, uh, that's a pretty formidable uh, offensive weaponry, right. if you will. And um, you know they've got, they've got to worry about you know, I don't think you're going to see much of Bogut uh, out there because if they put those guys around the line like that, we saw him last year against Pachulia and Eric Gordon. And any big gets on him, he's going to bury a three or mainly go around you and go to get a layup. And so uh, they've got that capability. Um, and and so you just you've got to play. You got to defend the three point line. Uh, you got to rebound, and the, and that's what I liked about the Warriors against the Clippers here. They've out rebounded them every game. Yep. And that bodes well. So if they play, you know, if they if they can hold them to one shot, get the rebound and go, I think they're in pretty good shape. So I think that'll help their transition game as well. Um, I think it's going to be a hell of a series. It might be a better series than the finals. I don't know. I think it's hmm. probably going to draw, uh, draw a lot of interest um, when those two teams go at it. And I'm hoping Utah can have some miracle and keep stretching this out and make a little longer series than uh, you know when right now when Houston's going back home. Let's see if they can steal one there but I'm not sure about that yeah you and I both it's been such a surreal experience for me um, as you know I, mean, I don't approach this as a neutral media member I'm just a straightforward Golden State fan and watching you know, Utah used to kick our butt for so many years Jim of course you remember and watching these games in Utah where I'm now rooting for the Utah fan base to beat Houston is such a <laughs> such a strange like dirty feeling you know like I, I dislike it intensely but I completely agree with you um let me ask you this. So I'm, I'm breaking ranks. This one comes from me, but I want your opinion on it. You and I have talked about this in the past, and it still just drives me crazy. I don't understand it. But Steph Curry is a two-time MVP. He's a multiple all-star. He's a three-time champion. He's not just the face of this franchise. In many ways, he's the face of the league. From what I can tell, he still does not get superstar calls. What the hell is going on? I mean, so am I being biased? You know, am I wrong to say that? In your opinion, what you're watching, does he still not get the respect that like the Kobe Bryant's used to when uh, when he had similar success? He does at times, but primarily not. Um, there, I don't know what it is. Now, I've and I've told you this before also. Just because when he drives in and gets a layup and yep. falls to the ground, that doesn't mean he was hit. Right. But he's hit out front an awful lot from behind, and guys are, you know, he pulls up and, and hits a jump shot, you know, a long three-pointer, and guys bump him. And, uh, and he, but I have to say also, he's this year more than ever, I'm seeing him search for a foul, kind of jumping into the path of the defender coming at him. 
and and I'm glad they're not calling that foul. And, and I'd rather see him just go straight up, try to make the shot, keep keep the game straight and clean in the way that you would normally shoot a shot, sure. rather than go hunt for the fouls. Um, but he does get hit uh, driving in uh, a lot of times, mainly when he doesn't doesn't fall down, and somehow they they miss that. He does not. No, they they don't. Uh, go out of the way to give him any help for some reason i don't know what it is uh and maybe it's just his size they think like well they're going to block his shot it's easier no matter if they steph curry or not and so he um when he goes inside he he takes uh he takes a beating a lot but i the the thing that i think is, is worse uh they're a little better at it but they hold him away from the ball all the time and when you're held constantly away from the ball it is very tiresome to keep working away from someone grabbing you all the time. It wears you out. And so then all of a sudden, you're, you're str- struggling to free yourself. Uh, it, takes a little, it takes a little toll on your arms, and all of a sudden the ball comes to you and you're ready to shoot, and I'm not sure you're, you're in the best shooting motion, and, and, uh, and you might be a little fatigue sets in like that. Sure. It, it, takes a, it takes a lot of effort to free yourself all the time. It seems like they do let him... It, it, they, I, I don't know what the referees are looking at away from the ball all the time, but uh, they I, tried to clean that up. They've done a, a better job, but not totally. There just feels like a disconnect for all the years where the Warriors were sub 500 and all the games at uh, Oracle felt like a concert for the other team's best player. You know, come watch Jordan play. Come watch Kobe play. Every one of those times when those other guys came in, they got all these calls, and we were supposed to just accept it. They're superstars. That's how it works. We now have our own superstar. This is this should be our time. And, you know, and obviously this is uh, first world problems. The Warriors are a dynastic team in an amazing run, but it still frustrates me that there seems to be an, an inequitude you know, or an inequity. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, let me ask you this, and this one goes back from a listener and is shooting back towards your career as opposed to the Warriors, but is there a teammate or teammates whose company you enjoyed the most over the years? Oh, guys, I have made a lot of friends because I got traded a lot played on seven different teams. <laughs> um, you know, of, of course, I in my younger years in San Diego, uh, I forged a great relationship with John Block. Toby Kemble, who's no longer with us. Um, and those were probably my two best friends. I ran around with Pat Riley a lot when he was young. And, but that's not a lifelong... He's gone to another stratosphere uh, <laughs> in his professional career. And, uh, you know, I see him. We're always very friendly and everything. But uh, you know, my, my, my best friend from the NBA is, is a former warrior, Clyde Lee, huh. whom I'm very close with and I've done a lot of things with. And, uh, when we turned 60, and I'm going to say that's 14 years ago. Actually, be this summer to be uh, 15 years because we're both going to be 75. Nice. Um, we rode the Natchez Trace Parkway, which is a, uh, a road from uh, well, it starts outside of uh, in Tennessee, and maybe it even starts even earlier than that. We picked it up. He lives in Nashville. Uh, we started in Nashville and went down to. Uh, Natchez, Mississippi. It was 550 miles, and we rode it in six days on our bicycle. Jeez. Um, they don't let trucks go on that road, and it's really smooth and really clean. You see a lot of bicyclists. The speed limit's 50. And so we ter- we celebrate our 60th birthday riding the Natchez Trace Parkway, uh, just he and I, and staying in little motels along the way. And that was really, really one of the highlights. Really, in my retirement, uh, since since I've uh, you know not played basketball with him and so forth, and we had a grand time doing that. Um, 
so you know I've got friends from college and stuff that uh, I, my best friend from Oregon lives in Portland and I see him an awful lot uh, let's see I, Fours, yeah Clyde was you know the Warriors were probably my favorite team San Diego was until I came to the Warriors and living here because I still you know live in the Bay Area and made my home here and got a lot of friends here but uh, it was, they were great great teammates and Jeff Mullins is still a good friend but uh, Clyde is actually my best friend from the NBA um, Butch Beard is a really good friend played here and I'll tell you a quick story um, he had been released from the Cleveland Cavaliers and I was playing as I said I was the, the third guard behind Frazier Monroe and Red Holtzman our coach Hall of Fame coach came to me and he said Butch Beard has been uh, put on waivers he has a bad reputation as you know not, not a very good guy what do you think? And I said this to Red Holtzman, knowing full well that he was going to come in and take my playing time also, and I was going to be, you know, a three minus guard or, or the four guard, fourth guard, and Butch was going to be the third guard and stuff. Because I wouldn't, have, I, you know, I, I somehow I never clicked with the Knicks as far as they, they were a setup team, and I liked to run, and they didn't run very much. And Frazier, you know, he, he liked to dribble it up the court. But that's not trying to pick on him either, but. At any rate, I was only averaging about six and a half a game, and I wasn't giving it to them that they needed. And so I said to Red, I said, that is ridiculously wrong, 180 degrees. Butch is a great guy, <laughs> and I played with him in Golden State, and if you can get him off waivers, that's, that'll be a coup for you, and it turned out to be a great thing for them. Um, he became a, a coach after that, coached in New Jersey. He became a radio announcer in New York with the Knicks, too. They loved him. And he and I immediately became roommates, and we've been we were close before. But when we became roommates in New York, we did everything together, everything, and uh, we still talk. Uh, we still talk about every couple of months through our whole lives here. And so, but Butch Beard is still a very, very good friend of mine. And so, I, I don't want to overlook him. Yeah, of course. I mean, what what it sounds like is a career filled with unbelievable friendships. And now I am a bike rider myself, Jim, and that sounds, well, it sounds impressive, one. It also sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Um, now, you know what, let me ask you this one. What's the toughest arena you ever played in? A spot that you just, you, you didn't like, you didn't feel comfortable, whatever it was. The opposing fans made you, um, you know, off your game, or the other team was just, you know, in particularly better there. Uh, how would you answer that? I think the uh, first stadium in Cleveland, you know, I, I played okay there because they were a brand new team as we were in Portland. And so we played there six times that year. We played those teams, Buffalo and Cleveland, 12 times. Uh, I'm not going to tell you all why or whatever. They, well, anyway, they, they didn't want us to all of a sudden, you know, have records of uh, 9 and 73 or something like that. So <laughs> they thought we could be that, uh, you know, be a little more equality there. So. Uh, the Cleveland place, mainly though, the, the floor of the it, it just was really pretty ratty, and no one. It's the only place I remember that the opposing team never, never showered in that arena. It was so <laughs> decrepit, and we stayed in the Holiday Inn across the street. You'd come over in your uniform, in your uniform. You'd walk to the game that way, across the street, and you'd go back and shower in your room. It was just really a filthy place. <laughs> it sounds like it. And I, um, so that the audience can be somewhat nervous along with me, we promised to, to get Jim out of here by six o'clock. It is currently 548 and I've got about a thousand questions left. So <laughs> I am going to, uh, to snip these down and promise you, Jim, here are our last 
three, and it's going to be hard let's for see me. If we can get quick, quick question. Let's see if we can get quick questions and, and harder to do with me. Quick answer. <laughs> well, this one I think you know is probably the wrong choice, but I want to hear the answer so badly. I'm going to ask it anyways. What is one of your favorite memories so far from the Stephen Curry Golden State Warrior era? Okay, I'm going to go Russell Westbrook. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have told you about the lack of time here, Jim. (laughs) Oh man, you know there have been so many great memories from from Stephen. I just he he is so incredible, and uh, I don't have one special one. I guess maybe in New York when he got 54 and was going crazy in Madison Square Garden because that's the epa. You know, that's the that's. That's it. That's if you do that in New York. Um, it, but the Warriors lost the game that night, so <laughs> I, I really like what he does when he gets on these runs, and all of a sudden he gets twenty-two points in a quarter and knocks down six threes. <laughs> yep. it's, sure, it's pretty remarkable. He does it so often; it all it, it, it all runs into each other. You know, oh, no, um, that's he, it. They are. I just s- think that he's he, he's the most incredible person on and off the floor. Because he's so valuable to this organization, and it's not just what he does on the floor; it's who he is and how he is exactly right on the floor. How That's... he is in practice, how he is with everybody, how he is in the locker room, how he is at dinner, how he is uh, just talking, and and he is one special person. So you know what's always um, stuck out about rooting for it. him, and it, it's a random thought, but I'll make it, even though even though we're short on time. Um, but that, generally speaking, when you're rooting for superstars or dynastic teams, you're rooting for a favorite, so it's hard to really get behind it. It's like rooting for Goliath, and the Warrior fans are feeling that now, right? We're expected to win, so each win maybe doesn't mean as much. Because of Steph's diminutive nature, and because he doesn't have this demonstrative personality, even though he has the skill set of Goliath, right? He's a top five player. When he succeeds, it feels like we're watching David. You know, it, it feels like we are watching somebody beat the world. And it's a very unique thing. I can't think of any other player who allows us to do that. Um, but I'm stealing time, so I'll give you some rapid-fired ones. Uh, how about this one? Who will be in the NBA Finals and who will win it? Wow. Well, I think the Warriors will be there. Um, and who's going to come out of the East? I do not think Philly's going to come out of the East. Uh, I don't think Toronto. And I think this is the year Milwaukee comes out of the East. Wow. Huh. Um, even even without the experience, you think that their talent level will be enough to get them through Boston yeah. and, and get them? Yeah, I think they've got a great backcourt. Uh, Antetokounmpo yep. has really improved. Uh, he's even hit a few outside shots now and then. Um, he's just he keeps getting better and better all the time, and I think they're on a mission. And uh, I, I, yeah, I just think it's going to be Milwaukee. I hope it is, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's it's good for the city. And it's been so long. I think it's been 18 years since they won a uh, series in, in in the playoffs, even right. uh, something like that. I heard. So um, I'm kind of rooting for them. Um, as far now, that's a, if you really want to be selfish. I'd like it to be Toronto because I love that city and I'd like to go up there since I'm going to be doing radio and I love to spend four days in Toronto, but that's a selfish thing. It's just like we, you know, we, we definitely want to, uh, we, we want to play Portland in, in the uh, NBA uh, Western Conference Finals. You know, we want, we want to see Portland now that Houston's coming to our bracket. Sure. We want to dispose of, of, of Houston and then we want to stay on the West Coast. We love Portland, you know, I'm... I'm I went to the University of Oregon. I lived up there and stuff. And so uh, that's a selfish thing, too. And I also think 
uh, they can't beat the Warriors. That's another thing. It's, That's exactly uh, right. If, it if, out that way. if you have selfish takes, Jim, you've come to the right podcast. That is exactly <laughs> what we specialize in, which takes me to my last segment. We might actually get out of here on time, Jim. We, I might actually fulfill my promise to you. Um, the last... Okay, what's a couple of questions? Couple so here, more. here you go. I got names for you as opposed to questions. Um, and you may recognize this segment. We do a story time with Uncle and then whomever it is we're speaking with. So in this instance, it will be story time with Uncle Barnett. I give you a name. You give me the first story that pops to mind. The first name I'm going to give you is Don Nelson. Holy mackerel. Don Nelson. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first story comes to mind is we're flying from Houston to New Orleans to play the next day. And Don thinks we're playing at night. He thinks it's, you know, 7 or 7.30 game. And we're having uh, weather problems. And Tom Abdenauer, our trainer, comes up, and we keep we're you know, kind of circling around everything. And he says, uh, "Well, he, he said we're having trouble so forth." And Don says, you know, we're, "I'm playing I'm playing um, uh, cards with him." And he looks up and he says, "Well, let's just go back to Houston, stay there." He <laughs> said, and then so Tom said, "Well, you do know it's a twelve thirty game tomorrow." And he said, "Holy, <laughs> shit, you're kidding me." <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know the game was early the next day. So we stayed in the air a little bit. We finally landed in some pretty inclement weather. But, uh, you know, that's it. Just people think like they know every, you know, everything, every, all the players know everything. And I remember myself, we play so many games, you go out for a five game road trip, and you, you don't know who the third game is. You, you don't know which other. You know, you're playing Detroit and Chicago, which are you playing Detroit first? Are you playing Chicago first? And but people who follow us, they're saying they they think that we know everything and oh got the whole system. And, you know, you just play one game at a time. You don't worry about where you're going. You just go and do it. I I love that fits right into my conception of who Don Nelson is. I mean, in in many ways, the probable author of the modern day offense, a guy who understood that you ha- you could play positionless basketball, and also someone who may or may not forget what time the ball is going to be tipped on their next game. You know that that is uh, that yeah, is awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let me give you another name, Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen. When I think of Chris Mullen, I just think of one of the greatest shooters I've ever seen. And the time we were playing the Lakers down in the Forum, and he had an incredible game. I think he had he might have had forty one. I think he had forty one, not forty two. I think he had forty one. And I remember Chick Hearn. I've heard that call before. Uh, he said. Uh, he right now is something like he's the greatest shooter in the world, and he kept praising him and praising him how brilliant it was, what a shooter it was, and um, he, he stretched the series out a little bit. I think the Warriors won that game. He was terrific. Uh, someone's going to correct me and say they didn't win the game, and see, I, I forget those things. But I just remember that night, and and many other times too. Uh, you know, he was, but that that one sticks out. It was a playoff game, and uh, but I, I I can just see him shooting that shot and. You know, from where he shot the ball, he was every bit as good as Steph Curry. If Steph Curry and he shot from the same spot, sure. and, we, and Chris Mullen had the spot, he'd make just as many baskets as Steph and Curry, maybe more. Who yeah, knows? I, I wasn't left-handed, but I was kind of slow and can only shoot a jump shot, so Chris Mullen was always kind of the guy I tried to uh, to emulate. So I, I love that story. Jim... You've done nothing but live up to my high expectations. Um, and I'm proud of myself. I didn't keep you late, man. You're going to be able to make your 6 o'clock appointment. Uh, thank you so much. I hope that we can get you back, you know, maybe before we get into the finals. Um, but we'll see. We'll see your availability. Uh, for now, let me just say thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed it. 
I did enjoy it, and uh, I appreciate you being very conscientious, and I'm on time, and everything's good. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, we will talk to you soon. Go Warriors, and hopefully we will get through that Houston series the same way both of us are predicting. Well, let's talk, we'll talk again uh, the week before we go to the finals. How's that sound? Boom, perfect. Hell yes. If you, if you see me camping outside your house between now and then, don't worry about that. <laughs> just just ignore we'll, it. We'll talk, again, uh, we'll talk again a few days before the finals. Perfect. We'll talk to you then, Jim. Thanks so much, man. Okay. All right. Bye. Take it easy. Barnett is the man true every week, certainly true this week. And let me go ahead and say on the off chance that he continues to listen to this just so that I can prove it, he is my favorite guest by far. If you want to reach out to us, you know where to hit us. Our email account is warriorshuddle at gmail.com. Our Twitter account is at warriorshuddle. And we are going to start really focusing in on one of my favorite brand new topics. It is Voice from the Crowd, where we reach out to you for a question that we can uh, answer. So if you want to give us a question that we will address on the pod, again, the email account is warriorshuddle at gmail.com. With that in mind, go Warriors, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Good, good. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.